did this last week. It was not that bad. Um, but it will be on the district comedy page and on my pro personal profile. Um, okay. I, I guess we're live. Has it given that notification yet? It's live. It says it on mine. Oh, great. Yay. We're, we're live. Technical prowess. Technical prowess. We are working on it, I guess. I don't. You're doing great. <laughs> Share. Oh my God. Okay, cool. There we go. All right. Okay, so I think we should all be set. I started getting like feedback because I was also listening to the stream as it was happening. But now it's all over and we're good. So, all uh, right. Uh, hello and welcome to episode two of Laughing Into the Void. I'm your host, Tom. And as always, co-hosting with me is the lovely Rosalind Paris. Before we get started, I just want to say if you enjoy the stream, you can see our previous broadcasts on YouTube channel or listen to them on Spotify. And you can find all that information on our website at district-comedy.com. Joining us today is Virginia-based comedian Winston Hodges. If you're familiar uh, with the comedy scene in the DMV area, you've probably encountered Winston at one point or another. He's been a stand-up for almost six years and uh, has also just produced his own special called Grieving Productively, yeah. uh, which you can find on YouTube. Yeah. Um, you can find information on that uh, and his other projects at winstonhodges.com, right? Yes, that's perfect. Everything's on that. Great. Instagram, and, Twitter, uh, um, all of it. Yeah. And yeah, Twitter and Instagram also are at Winston H. Comedy. Yes. Um, and I think that's it. So welcome. Yay. Yay. Yeah, welcome. Okay. I feel like I have to like power through the first little speech and then we can just go back to yeah. talking like we were before. But um, I am kind of excited to get to know more about you. You're one of one of the first uh, people that I met when I started like kind of doing online Zoom comedy, which yeah. for me, <laughs> other than like two live open mics are the only um experience that i've ever had with that's so crazy <laughs> that's so um, insane <laughs> but uh so for people who don't know you though uh how how would you uh describe your sense of humor oh man just great i'm great at comedy that's what i would tell people <laughs> i uh i don't know i like uh my my i have a stupid bio that someone else wrote for me and i'm not even gonna say uh what it says i like uh, i like making fun of everybody but i don't like hurting people's feelings it's kind of how i would describe my brand i like to make fun of literally every group but i don't like hurting people's feelings at all it makes me feel really bad <laughs> oh my <laughs> so, god <laughs> so it's a laughing with kind of situation yeah like laughing with and uh it's a lot of crowd work involved in my material and i i do try to look at stuff in a different way than other people but i i like talking about all groups even if i'm not a part of that group in a way that isn't rude or mean but like we can laugh together but i like but yeah but i do listen if someone's feelings are hurt because it gives me anxiety <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah i i like to think that i'm pretty successful at doing that myself but mine comes from more of a place of just like i am very sensitive myself so yeah. i just like i will i will not put other people in that position or at least yeah. try not to but um that's good to know but um and this yeah. is probably pulled from that 
uh, bio you said was written about you. Um, because <laughs> running your own bio sucks. Yeah, it no, suck. It's it's so incredibly masturbatory, and it is so like, no matter what I say about myself, I just feel like such a douchebag. So I had a friend write it, and I was like, this is good enough. If I whatever, but I need to get I need to get like a new one written, uh, for sure. <laughs> well, it's nice to have friends that like think highly enough of you that you trust them to write a bio. Like yeah. I don't know too many people that I would trust with that because they would just like totally try and fuck with me. <laughs> hey, hey. Okay, you know, the I premier, would Ross could probably do it, but. The premier queer librarian online comic. Yeah. <laughs> it would be premiere. I don't think I've yeah. seen that anywhere else. Um, yeah, the, the queer premiere, dude. That's what it's. Sprightly <laughs> 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 boy good at miming. That's, yeah. what, that's how I would start. Yeah. yeah. It's a lot I have like I screenshotted Tom doing a mime thing on a show because I didn't know him well at that point, and I was like, "This dude is insane." I have an entire like uh, I have an entire folder on my phone, crazy people on Zoom, and it's all <laughs> you're in there and like a couple other people uh, that like I'm now friends with are in there, but it's just like there was I felt like there was way more experimental stuff going on when Zoom first started, uh, yeah. and like your mime thing was it. I was like, this is legitimately insane. This is so crazy to see online. Are you talking about the one from uh, Hamaday? Hamaday? Oh my yeah. God. So literally last night, I was, I was like, looking back through- what the fuck is happening? <laughs> well, I was looking back through like footage last night of my older sets, cause I'm trying to like piece together the good stuff. And I came yeah. across that one and I was just like- It was cool. I just Why did nobody stop me from doing that? I thought it was so bad. I was cringing the whole time. Well, I've never seen- like, actual mime done outside of like when someone's a mime in a movie so right. uh so like i'm watching you do it and i'm just like oh he is dressed like a mime yes <laughs> like this is real like he was full mime yeah i was like i, I was like oh i was like i was like oh this is funny he's probably never done it before and he was doing it and i was like this guy's done this a lot. <laughs> <laughs> when like, tom and i do improv my favorite thing is to just like get him to the point in a scene where he can he can start acting like a mime because the audience always loves it and it just comes out of left field and it's always funny yeah oh my god that did would you, always like be a good like random thing to throw out did you for, mime like, or improv first i'm uh improv first so i actually started not this is supposed to be an interview about you but yeah. since you asked this, and i love talking also my it. brand of comedy is uh i immediately make it about other people because i think it's so fascinating <laughs> and funny and i'll soak it up but um yeah no i started doing improv when i was like 15 and i think the following year i started like sneaking improv scenes at the local community college which is where i met Roz. so me and Roz have actually been doing comedy Holy together shit. for like 13 years or so yeah so I'm like i've known tom because i'm 28 now so i guess that's wild yeah 12 years more than a decade yeah oh that is God. scary improv and then mime yeah well that, the mime what stuff a, what a journey. Yeah, that that's <laughs> what a journey you've gone on mm. when mm. did yeah when did you discover yourself first as a mime or sexually as a as a bisexual <laughs> man <laughs> um <laughs> Both at the same time. Dude, I figured um, the moment you signed up for mine, you're like, I probably should sleep with a few guys. <laughs> yeah. really, really it's feel like, this out. I'm wearing makeup. I'm like wearing tight fitting clothing. You felt um, at home. <laughs> well, so that's the mime stuff though is actually because when I got out of college with my theater degree, I just kind of stuck with the first 
company that would cast me and stuff okay. and pay me. Um, and that ended up being a physical theater company called Cinetic, um, which is actually a great plug because we're doing a fundraiser soon. So keep an eye out for that, people. Um, but they are like, they are immigrants from the country of Georgia. And basically their entire style is in like physical theater and mime and like very big like spectacle shows. Like classic clowning. Classic clowning. Um, okay. And they interpretive have dance kind of? Is it is it interpretive dance? <laughs> yeah. Fuck? Well, it's interesting because so the artistic director comes <laughs> from like a directing background and then his wife is the like choreographer for the company and she has like hardcore Russian ballet background so she's like very well versed in all the things and it's very interesting um yeah, that sounds insane <laughs> that's an episode for another day but bringing it back to you haha yeah, you ever, no before we get, did uh, you ever do children's theater like traveling and doing theater at schools because you have the energy yeah. of someone that did that yeah I did <laughs> It was some of the most interesting gigs. I've had great experiences and bad experiences. Um, and I have we the might utmost respect in. for those actors. Yeah. Because I taught at a school for autism. And every time they came to perform for our students, they, they powered through more interruptions than I've ever seen anyone power through. And I was like, this is hardcore. <laughs> Yeah, it's four people and they're all playing three different parts and there's children screaming and throwing shit and they're like we're getting through this fucking harriet tubman musical that we have, <laughs> that we have for some reason <laughs> well i didn't know what it was about like the mime element because of course like one of the kids shows that i've done was like a completely so silent awesome. like mime thing and what was I would have hated that as a kid. <laughs> well, like the kids love it. They eat that up. And I think there's an element about like the fact that the performers are not talking, that they shut up and That's they're just like completely engaged the whole time. Uh, it's like, what? I got to listen with my eyes? Better shut up because otherwise I won't be able to focus. Um, I don't know. I'm not a... I'm not a psychologist i don't know how kids brains works but um so tell us a little bit about your background um again based on that bio i guess you grew up in a uh predominantly like christian household yeah man super and... super religious household uh -huh. in uh cartersville virginia which is such a small place that like okay I went to high school and elementary school in farmville virginia so i would just tell people i'm from farmville because there was like no point like that was the closest town. <laughs> I was about to say the bio on your website said Farmville. So I was like, yeah, I can't tell if that's a joke. Like that's the real no, name of a town. That is where I went to, that is where I went to elementary, middle and high school. So we were like 45 minutes from there and we were an hour from Richmond. So Jesus. we would go to Richmond to do everything. So like car rides, like stuff for shows when people are like, oh, this gig's two hours away. I'm like, that's nothing. That's what I drove. <laughs> to school every day are you kidding me that's awesome hell <laughs> yeah we'll go in two hours that's a that's a nice little breezy drive but yeah farmville virginia farmville virginia super religious household pretty big family really close-knit uh close-knit family i'm so uh, religious but like not uh i'm religious but it's like i grew up in what you expect a southern baptist household to be <laughs> right yeah um are you are you the youngest or are you like the middle like i'm the youngest I'm the youngest in my family. It's just me and my older brother. Um, okay. He's like seven and a half years older than me. So he's like, he'll be 38 in January. I just turned 30 this year. 
Um, but like my mom has for, uh, I have to get this math right. Four other, four, she has four other siblings and they all have children. So it was like, and they all live the, so my mom and all her siblings lived really close to my grandma on her side. So the farthest relative away from the farthest aunt away from us was 40 minutes away. And so we would be doing family stuff all the time. So it's the type of thing where your first cousins are basically close to siblings because you would see them two or three times a week and having dinner at my grandma's house and going to church functions and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. That sounds kind of nice, but it also, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like a lot of people that perform are like in that younger, younger middle kid kind of realm yeah. where they're like, I need attention. Oh, in a big family, it's like, that's why I'm so loud. Um, I, it's like, <laughs> I'm trying to be quiet now because I'm at my brother's house and my nieces are asleep. So I'm like not screaming. Oh. Uh, but like, I, I'm generally really loud. I'm really boisterous. I love uh, talking and hanging out and stuff and like definitely trying to get attention and wanting to make people laugh and performing like I did theater in high school and stuff like that so it's like I anything I could to get attention so <laughs> okay sure. and then that kind of led pretty easily into doing stand-up I mean yeah that's kind of I feel like the only mainstream performance style that is like so much focus on one person i mean you see yes. like there's been more like storytelling shows popping up here and there i feel like that's kind of been a trend or at least was before everything shut down and then um like solo performance art yeah like that and like singer songwriters sometimes oh um, yeah like that. i guess musicians yeah but even then though like a singer songwriter will sometimes have a backing band or other people might write some of their songs you know what i mean like it's uh, or like you're someone like you know Sinatra who's like has a huge band behind him but he's just singing and stuff like that but like I don't know stand-up feels like the premier one person you write everything and I'm a huge credit hog I like writing my own jokes I love like I've never done improv I've never really done sketch writing uh or anything like that because none of it doesn't hit improv doesn't hit any of the reward centers in my brain that like stand-up does like all the stuff that all my friends say they love about improv or the things that I would be like, I get no joy from that at all. <laughs> so it's, it's not for me. Yeah. Well, improv is good because you've got backup on stage. But yeah, I hate that. Like, I don't want if that the at audience, all. If the audience thinks you fucking suck, you could just be like, wow, Tom was having a really bad night tonight. Wasn't my fault at all, you know? <laughs> See, I want, if, I, if I suck, I want it to either be my fault or I want to be furious at the audience. That is the two. That's yeah, sometimes like we would flow. do that on the true. Just it's fun. The audience. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that and like, I don't, I didn't like the idea of not using a microphone. Like most improv I've seen is it's, I like having, I don't like being in a room and there's a chance that someone in the audience can be louder than me. Yeah. Like that's like. Uh, <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> yeah, we've been there. <laughs> yeah. And it's like. Definitely uh, been there. Yeah, and I don't know. I like how aggressive stand-up can get. It's very, it can be confrontational. And it's like, I don't like confrontation, but there are times where I'm like, I think secretly I probably like it a little bit. <laughs> I'm like, just enough. A little drama's good. <laughs> I don't know about that, but I am definitely drawn to like some of those same elements in stand-up. Like, I am really into the idea of being like completely self-sufficient with whatever performance style it is and yeah. kind of like 
that's what you're doing. You're your own writer, performer, producer, agent, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I feel like getting other people together to do improv and practice and like that and like being in a group and having one person in the group either not work as hard or not be as funny as I think they should be would infuriate me. I, I couldn't do it. Plus, I, I ch always chase the joke. And I know a lot of improv is not chasing the joke. I don't like setting other people up. <laughs> <laughs> you want all the credit. <laughs> yeah, I would be, I would tank scenes. I would absolutely say no to some of the suggestions. I'd be like, no, that's we're like, not, I'm not yes ending this. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, so you kind of do sort of do improv though. Cause like, so for, for those of you who are watching slash listening, Winston just put out a special called Grieving Productively. Yeah. Um, and it's about the death of your father, which was how many years ago? It was last year. It was last, last year. Uh, yeah, old last year. Pretty fresh. Um, yeah. But so you're kind of, I, I noticed in the special, you're kind of doing a lot of crowd work, which to me is improv on an even scarier level than because <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what they're saying. And you're yeah. asking people pretty personal questions. <laughs> yeah. Like, so, I mean, in some ways you are kind of doing a little- Yeah, like it's definitely improv. I think it's the team aspect and the paying for classes that I just don't like. Uh, but yeah, I totally understand that. Like I say, I don't do improv and then I'll get on stage and I'll do an hour where it's just me talking to the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's like the scariest type why of is that? Why is that scarier to you than regular? Because I think doing, because for me, like the reason improv is scary is it's some scenes it's just embarrassing and i don't mean that in a negative way but you're doing an embarrassing character or you're like really putting your and to me doing crowd work and asking questions i'm still me and so it's not as scary to me so what about crowd work is scary to you to you i think it depends on how you frame it in your mind because when i think of crowd work versus improv like improv is like my friends are up there, they got my okay. back and like, you know, whatever it is, we'll get through it together. And even though we joke about like blaming the other person after the show, really we all get together and blame the audience. Um, yeah, that's the way to do but it. <laughs> crowd work on the other hand, um, I feel like is scarier because it's like you're doing basically what's an improv scene, but the scene partner you have has like no performance experience probably and is most likely drunk yeah you're just carrying the <laughs> team on your back yeah <laughs> yeah um but that's a, that's since Roz kind of brought it up um i'm gonna say that um in addition to you know i guess your kind of southern-ish christian root big family background uh and the not wanting to hurt each other hurt other people's feelings rather yeah um another theme at least lately in your comedy seems to be around the death of your father because you have the dead dad comedy podcast as well yeah. as the special i do and it's that's been... not necessarily a topic most would gravitate to when no, it's weird is it's comedy. like i it's very therapeutic for me to do that um the special that's done i don't really have i think i maybe have i think i probably have seven minutes of jokes about my dad passing away that I didn't put in that special because I didn't think they were ready and it had been a year and I'm like I want this to be done but in general when I'm on stage I'm not really talking about it unless I make a like a reference and a joke just whatever like a throwaway line but the podcast has been helpful because I am big on 
I think you should try to be in as many different lanes as possible and then try to figure out what your lane is. And it's helpful for me because every other podcast I've ever done has been purely, this has to be funny. We're making jokes the whole time, being irreverent, being ridiculous. And then this was the first thing where it's like, it's going to be 50% sincere and asking real questions and learning and trying to deal with my loss and grief and trying to help other people. And then the other 50% is being like, death is really funny. And the only people that get how funny and like fucked up it is are people that have been through it. But loss and grief is such an isolating feeling that I feel like, like there's a, there's a perfect example where I was talking uh, uh, to somebody, Donna Steele, who's in DC and um, uh, she's originally from, from Richmond and she does improv and stuff. And, and we did like a two part episode with her and there was just this moment where she said something expecting no one to agree with it. And then I was like, oh my God, you're the first person I've ever heard say that. And there was just this moment and I've had people reach out and be like, no one had ever said that before. And that's like how I feel. Like, I can't believe you asked that question. Like, and so it's been nice to divvy up everything and to be like, okay, so maybe my comedy game show is fun, but I also want to have this thing about actually helping other people so that I can like go to bed at night and feel good about myself. And then I'll just do a 30 minute set and I won't mention it at all. I like doing a bunch of different, different stuff. It keeps me from getting really bored because I get bored easily. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I get that. Um, but yeah, it, I'm glad you mentioned that. Cause that's kind of the vibe that I got from grieving productively too, is that like death is like this thing that can feel very isolating, but like on the other side, it is something that like, I think a lot, more people experience than yeah. realize. And no one talks about it because you feel yeah. like you're not supposed to. So on that podcast, we were very honest and very raw about our feelings. We talked about people that made us mad when it happened, like weird grudges we held, like just weird. Like I, I mentioned it in the special, but it's like, it's insane to me that in the state of Virginia to bury a body, you need a death certificate. Like they will not put the body in the ground if you do not have the certificate. And I'm if just the like, paperwork uh, is not right. Then rotting yeah. <laughs> out in the open. Like, but I'm just sorry. But it's one of those things where it's like he's in the box. I can certify that this man <laughs> is dead. He's the certificate. Like, yeah. <laughs> just like, how much proof do you need? Yeah, um, but like that's just that was such a small, really frustrating thing where we luckily had the death certificate and it wasn't an issue for us. But the fact that they told us you need a death certificate to bury the body means that someone in the past didn't get it and they refused to put someone's loved one in the ground. Like that's what that means. That's, like, yeah. that's, that's why there's warning labels on shampoo because some asshole <laughs> shoved it in their eyes. <laughs> Which I wonder if it's like a holdover from like the plague when they used to bury whoever seemed dead. Yeah. And then like sort the details out later. Yeah, instead of tying like a, oh a bell to someone's toe underground, yeah. they're just like, so we should probably just get some paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> We're all out of bells. We need a certificate. <laughs> yeah, paper's cheaper. <laughs> oh, God. Um, that being said, talking more about the special, but like more on the technical side of things, because you don't have like a formal background in film production. I thought that it was really, really good. So thank you <laughs> what did you what you find was like a particularly uh challenging aspect of just making the special video editing is horseshit 
and it's, <laughs> like it sucks and anything outside of a simple cut you have to make the audio match it's just, just so i didn't like that like it's a 39 minute special and i probably put at least 50 hours of editing in so each minute was at least one hour of editing and i would have done more but I ran out of time and I was like, this is going to be, this is it. Like this, I gave myself a date because I knew if not, I'm someone that I would tinker on it forever and then never release it. But the, but the video editing and like taking all the different sets and like editing it so that the sound still sounds natural where it's like the setup is at the grave and then the next part is at a different set and just boom, boom, boom. And the only film background I have at all as I was a film minor in college but it was no video production in that it was a minor where I could watch movies <laughs> that is, nice. that is, film club that's why I did it I was like this is a good minor I like this we'll watch uh, <laughs> watch some westerns but I just wanted to do something different and I had the idea of originally before COVID the special was going to be just me either in a comedy club or this rock venue back in Charlottesville called The Southern, which has like done a lot of shows with us and it's like a really great comedy venue. And then COVID hit and I was like, well, maybe COVID only be a couple months and, and I'll still be able to put it out at the one year anniversary and that'll be fine. And then it looked like it wasn't gonna let up forever. And then the next plan was like, I'm just gonna perform it to my dad in the graveyard and maybe have an audience there. I was gonna invite 10 people to the grave. And then I literally thought and was like, I think if I'm at the graveyard, it needs to just be me. I need to just be explaining the jokes like I'm having a conversation with my dad. Cause that was my first time being at the grave since he passed away, I hadn't gone back. Oh. Uh, um, and I was like, I was like, I'm gonna go with the one year and that was the one year anniversary of his passing. And I did it all there. And then after I did that, I was like, I booked a live show that I could headline. Zoom became an important part of my comedy life over this. And it would have been disingenuous to not do a Zoom headlining set and edit that into it. And then I'm luckily someone that records most of their sets on video anyway. I had several other sets, like including the night he was diagnosed. And then I was like, what can I do with all of these? And originally I thought I would just play each of them back to back to back. And I'm like, well, I don't want people hearing the same joke three or four times. Like, that's not what I want. I was like, maybe I can edit them together. And that was the most time consuming decision <laughs> I've ever made uh, in my life. But after I had done the first five minutes of it, I was like, I can't go back because this is actually really cool. And this feels really good to do. So video yeah, editing for shit. If you, if you have someone that will video edit for you, pay them money. <laughs> like they deserve yeah. every penny they get if they're good at it. Um, because I, you could not, yeah, I, I'm hopeful the next time I make a special, it's because someone's asking me to do it and they have a video editor who can take care of it. Yeah, this. someone else button the bill. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> well, it's interesting that you like kind of struggled with that because I watched, I watched the special this morning, which was also really weirdly accurate to me because my grandfather passed away about a year ago and it's yeah. the first time we've had a big loss in my family. So it was kind of my first time dealing with death. And I felt like it was very effective to switch back. Like you're not even really switching back just between gigs, but like different phases of, of grief, yeah. Of the process. Yeah. And so I thought that was a really like unique spin that Thank kind you. of felt very fresh. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I, I will say yeah. that it's like I'm sure that I'm not the first person to do that, but I hadn't seen anyone do that before with a stand-up special. So yeah. I was like, 
as I'm doing it, I'm like, even if it sucks and isn't funny, at least people might be like, oh, it's unique. Like, to give me, I was like, there has to be a positive. So I'm glad that you enjoyed the going back and forth because I felt like the way I was delivering the jokes was different and you could tell there were some times where I was sadder than others and just, I don't know, it was, and the cool thing is outside of the Zoom set and the set where I'm like headlining outside at like the cidery, the other ones were recorded without any intention of going in a special. So the other stuff was just naturally how I was feeling that day. And I felt, it felt good when I watched the finished product and I've only watched it one time because I couldn't bring, if you watch it so many times editing, it's like, yeah. but I had to watch it one time and be like, all right, let's see how this goes. And afterwards I was just like, this feels good. Like I felt like I made a, a thing that was like worth making. So I'm glad that you enjoyed it. That makes me happy yeah. that you watched it. And I am sorry about your loss. That sucks. Oh, thanks. Yeah. It was, uh, it's kind of weird because like humor is like one of the things that kind of gets you through something like that. Yeah. When they were, when they were like having the funeral and like the minister from my grandmother's church is giving this speech and they're lowering his coffin into the ground. He like fucking stole somebody's military funeral. Like my grandfather was not That's a veteran. Awesome. Like he was That's an ROTC awesome. in college. And as they're lowering the coffin, we just hear like the gun, like the, the call and the bugle and the gunshots. That's awesome. And the ministers just look at each other and they're like, do, do we keep going? Like, do we keep going? Like, great. and then finally they just went with it. And so my grandfather, <laughs> literally his last act on earth was to fraudulently steal a fucking military funeral That's from somebody. Amazing. Oh, wow. And everyone, <laughs> That's awesome. Like, it was great though, because everyone was laughing. Like, it was it was so absurd and funny that it was just like what we needed at the moment, like laughing that's, and crying at the same time. Is that's just like my, one of my favorite moments from like my dad's funeral or like any funeral you go to where like everybody is so sad. And I think a good minister or a good pastor or a good reverend or a good priest or whoever is, is giving it. Um, hopefully it's someone that knew the loved one that, you know, was passing, uh, had passed away. But like, if they know them, there's always that moment where they're saying really sincere things. And then they will say one truthful, very funny thing about the person. And yeah. you can just hear people crying. And, and that, that's why I think laughter is so freaking powerful is that it's like, you can be having the worst day of your life. But if someone says something truly funny, you are yeah. bawling and you still can't be like, it's like, son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to cry here. Like my, <laughs> like it was great. Like when um, the pastor was, was uh, uh, we had two um, different ones uh, speak at my dad's uh, funeral. And uh, the second one, the one that had been his pastor for like a really long time, and they didn't always see uh, uh, eye to eye on stuff, but they, you know, like, you know, he definitely cared about my dad a lot. And like, uh, they were talking, and his whole thing was to say this really nice thing. And then he just made a joke about, he was like, he's like, yep. Yeah, and as we all know, we all know JB always would try to sell us a car because my dad was a car salesman, and it destroyed. It just literally be like, no matter what, they would like. He was like, I think he said like, I think the saddest thing is JB. If he was here right now, he would be trying to sell each and every one of us a car, and that just like made everybody laugh and. My mom was like, yeah, that's what my dad, <laughs> that's what dad would have done. But those moments are just so pure. And uh, it was a challenge for me to try to do that with stand up. But it's like, it's been really cool. I've gotten a lot of really good feedback on the podcast and that to the point where it's made me feel like 
I've grown as a comedian and I've grown as an artist and a performer and stuff like that. So, yeah, we should just talk about death all the time. Right, uh, I'm about it. Just checking in on the chat real quick. Uh, we do have Chino De Leon saying Winston motherfucking Hodges. That was towards <laughs> the top. <laughs> nice. And then someone saying hi, Tom. So that's nice. great. Uh, <laughs> it, pop it popped up next to your face, though. It did. I know. Oh, my God. I was so nervous about that. I was throwing new stuff in last yeah, time with it Brooks. It was like, we're just we're just doing a Zoom call and we're going to yeah. stream it. I'm not going to okay. try it. Okay. Now I'm being a little adventurous, but um, I like it. <laughs> thanks. Um, this was our but, soft landing. Yeah. Because <laughs> we knew we, he was in our improv troupe, so we knew we yeah. could be him. Yeah, we're all in a little improv mafia together. But, really? Um, oh, my God. Improv mafia sounds bit. unbearable. It <laughs> that sounds is. awful. <laughs> 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 um, oh, my God. That's so funny. Uh, but before we, like, completely move on um, from grieving productively, kind of transitioning out of that, since you did mention you know, everything with the pandemic and, you know, in your uh, special, you are, you know, doing clips both like from these virtual Zoom mics and from these live venues. So one, it's like, what's it like? What's it like in the real world right now with like doing stand up in these open venues? And I think there's like, I don't know if you've specifically done them, but I think I've heard about like people doing these like open mics that are like drive-in movies on a stage i haven't done a drive-in one yet but uh, i had some friends who do the drive-in ones and they say it's very different to your it's all about adjusting your expectations so it's like when covid started uh, i only had what i thought like every time an outdoor show would happen it would be like shit this is outdoors this is gonna suck like oh the sound and the laughter is gonna escape it would be like a bad show and then COVID started and the only thing that was available was freaking Zoom. And so I adjusted my expectations. I learned what a good set on Zoom felt like as opposed to what a good set in real life feels like. And then you do the same thing for outdoors and the same thing, I guess, for the drive-in is it's just, you, you have to like change your brain. I think when stuff opens back up and it gets to like for real, for real, I think the first really good set I have that's similar to the way it used to be, I might just like, my head might explode. Like, I don't think I'm gonna be able <laughs> to handle the amount of joy <laughs> that I'm gonna feel from that. Uh, but the real world's fine. Um, I'm as safe as I can be. I wear a mask everywhere, bring my own microphone, wash my hands, use hand sanitizer, and I leave as soon as I perform. So that's that's all that I can do. But uh, there's some venues that aren't don't feel the safest, but <laughs> when you're making yeah. money doing stand-up, you kind of have to... <laughs> I'm at the mercy of can. yeah. <laughs> but you make money from stand. <laughs> oh yeah, it's uh, all I do right now. Um, we'll be looking for another job. But I, I, I just moved to DC. So when I moved to DC, I quit my teaching job because I thought it was going to be remote for much longer. And then they went back to in person, and I was like, well, I'm not commuting back to Richmond as much as I love my kids. So I yeah. stopped. I had savings, and between stand up and then I'm I doing some other stuff with nonprofits, trying to like bring dead dad and grieving productively to different nonprofit settings to kind of do that. Um, so fingers crossed on that because it might be performance might end up being my full-time job. Oh my God. So we'll see. So we'll That'd be see. Pretty cool. We'll see. I, I, I'll say it once. I'll say it again. My dad dying. Absolute best thing that could have happened in my career. So <laughs> one, I did not one, know that one final that gift, one final gift for my father. 
Oh my God! Passing uh, the torch on. Yeah, he would. Oh man, he, that's the cool thing. I have no guilt about any dead dad jokes because he was the single most supportive person in my comedy. He went to a bunch of shows, even though he doesn't like the dirtier shows. He got on stage with me once. He 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 was really supportive. He 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 loved what I did. So it's like it's really cool to be able to like make those jokes, have no guilt, and and know that he's also like he would be proud of the special and I know he'd be super proud of the podcast and like helping other people. So it's, uh, I don't know. It makes me feel really good to talk about. So. Well, especially too, if he was a used car salesman, he probably respects the hustle a little bit too. Dude, there is nobody that, <laughs> there is nobody that could sell a car like my dad could on, on earth. So when he passed away, he was the type of salesman that like his customers were his friends. So like he would, if you were looking for a certain type of car, and he didn't have it, but it came in 10 years later, he would call you and be like, hey, we got this car in. I know it's been 10 years, are you still looking for it? He would send cards to people, buy them Christmas gifts, call them every few months if he hadn't heard from them, go to customers' funerals, go to customer, like he would do that thing where, and when he passed away, his visitation was only gonna, was supposed to be like two and a half, three hours, and we had to extend it for like six because 1600 people came to my father's visitation. Um, and I would say 1,200 of the 1,600 were people that he had met through the, the automobile industry and were his customers. And we talked to the old deal to the dealership where he worked at every time I go in there to get my car serviced. And they're just like, uh, it's been over a year, and they're just like, yeah, another one of your dad's customers came in, and we had to tell him that he had passed away. Uh, it's just people that had no clue and no idea. So, uh, but you're right, he would have. He, yeah, he loved the hustle because he hustled more than anything else. He like <laughs> he was a hustler. Yeah. And it's definitely a hustler situation. Yeah. Like independent contracting of, I guess, any kind is but especially in the arts uh, and the performing arts. Um, but, um, but like uh, going back to the whole zoom thing, cause you actually had a, you had a Facebook post recently that got a lot of, at least compared to like the stuff I normally write, got a lot of attention. <laughs> um, uh, I believe like, and please correct me if I'm wrong in like kind of summarizing it, you're kind of not quite defending like Zoom mics and stuff, but like recommended them as an alternative for like yeah. doing stuff in real life if you're not feeling yeah. so. Um, so if you wanted to expand on those uh, thoughts a little <laughs> bit for those of us watching who might not read all of your posts. It's just like, I got so tired of like, Half the posts on my Facebook from comedians are people saying they'll never do Zoom shows. They're stupid. You can't get anything from them. They're dumb or they're saying comedy's dead. And the other half are like Zoom comedians being like, it's the best thing that's ever happened. And I'm just like, it's neither. Like it is, <laughs> like it's in the middle. And it's like, if I have friends that don't want to do it, fine. I totally understand it. But like the complaints I was hearing, I was just like, it's great for networking. It's better, people that are saying it's worse than not doing anything were the people that I kind of wrote that post for. And it's just like, it's not- Unfriend. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's better than nothing. And I've gotten to do a lot more podcasts. I've gotten to meet a bunch of cool people, like including you, like, I, like you know what I mean? Like I wouldn't have gotten, I don't think I would have gotten to know you if I wasn't doing the online things. Or if I did, it would be when this opens back up and just in passing through doing comedy, like, you know, in, in real life. But it's like, I've met a bunch of cool people and I've pretty much written an entire new 45 minutes of stand-up that I've tried at in-person shows 
but I wouldn't have written those jokes and been able to get them to the point that they're at if I hadn't been doing Zoom shows. So it's basically just like, I got tired of people saying it's the worst thing and people saying it's the best thing when it's just like, it's fine and it can be productive if you're willing to put the work in. And people that were saying, I don't want to do comedy to just a bunch of comedians. And I'm just like, that was what a third of open mics was <laughs> anyway. <laughs> The only difference is I don't know these people, so they might laugh. <laughs> and the drinks are cheaper. Yeah, the drinks are cheaper. It's like, <laughs> the drinks are a lot cheaper. That's fair, but I, I've enjoyed it. It's 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 helped me because I'm like um, I'm an extreme extrovert, and that I do get all of my energy from other people. So it's like I don't need to be alone to recharge. Like when I'm alone, it actually like really runs me down. So quarantine was really hard for me, and Zoom helped me out and just dealing with a lot of stuff that I was going through and it's just been really helpful to like get some of that energy back that I was that I was missing but it's not the same as in-person shows in-person shows are a million times better and it's and it's not close but it's like they're not even in the same ballpark but but Zoom's still fun I've met some cool people on Zoom so I like it I mean especially if you're the sort of person who actually enjoys crowd work um, (laughs) as opposed to me but yeah no I mean I for me I think it was like it'd probably been years i mean other than the improv stuff or like if the play that i was in happened to be comedic that i'd actually sat down and do any comedy writing yeah so this whole like quarantine thing uh and then discovering the zoom open mics is definitely like a way to recharge that thing which i had enjoyed for a while but just gotten out of the habit of doing but um so that's cool. Awesome. Um, and I also like the way you describe it as like, it is kind of this in-between thing. I think this like Zoom comedy is like comedy limbo, especially yeah. with like the indefinite nature of like knowing when Yeah, if you approach Zoom comedy like it is in real life comedy, you're going to hate it. You're going to be miserable. You're not going to get anything back from it. But if you approach it like I did, which is just like, well, I generally write on stage. Like I have an idea and I get on stage and I'll riff about it and I'll talk to the crowd and that's where the jokes come from. But COVID's made it so it's like, all right, well now I have to have an idea and I at least kind of write it out. So it's made me sit down and be a little bit better with my time. And uh, like I said, networking and just uh, keeping creative muscles in my brain working. Um, so approaching it like that, it's great. It, it's, it's, it's super fun. But I totally get where if you can't put yourself in that mindset, and you purely only do stand up, like because I need that fix from being in front of a crowd. Then you should not do Zoom comedy. You're going to hate it, and it's going to make you miserable, and it's going to make you quit stand up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. But um, so obviously, you know, open theaters, as we've been talking about, is still kind of up in the air when that's going to start yeah. getting back to normal. But uh, I am curious what are what's next on the roster for you what are your plans coming up what's the next step for winston h comedy uh probably pitching some stuff to some more nonprofits, trying to get that to work and uh, i think the next step is like using the next year to try to get an agent uh whether it's a college agent or just a regular agent and just trying to see if i can take the skills that I have and see if I can make that jump to being full-time performance and not full-time performance just because I'm unemployed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> actually very sustaining. different categories. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're not the same. Uh, I want to be gainfully employed doing, mm-hmm. uh, 
doing performance, but it's just, I'll, I'm gonna send some tapes to some college agents and I'm gonna send some tapes to some regular agents and see if they bite and try to get some write-ups on my special and get people to share it and keep pitching the things that I've been pitching and working with this nonprofit to try to expand that into where my day job might be doing something with grieving productively with nonprofits. And then at night I can still do as many shows as I want to, but I've really, this, the COVID has really reaffirmed that stand-up is what I want to do. And I think I'm good enough to do it and it'd be my job. And like, I actually make something of myself doing it. And with this, I don't want to have another lost year, even though I don't think this was a lost year, but like, that's what a lot of people are viewing it. And I just want to see if I can parlay that and, and make some moves and just take that next step that I think that I, I need to take creatively and uh, financially. So that's, that's the move. So we'll see how it happens. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think you make a good point too. Like it also is so much of a job outside of like, you can be the funniest person in the world, yeah, but it doesn't it, for comedy, it doesn't matter if you can't network. <laughs> it doesn't Learn matter. how to use a hashtag. <laughs> yeah, be likable and apologize when you make mistakes. That's probably the biggest thing. I was trying to be a better person because everybody, you know, has their moments, but just be nice when you can and try to help other people. And also try to be funny. Being funny should be important, but you're right. It doesn't, if you can't network and you're the funniest person in the world, it's your trip to the top is going to take a lot longer. Because it is, yeah. if people don't like working with you, they're not going <laughs> to, you're going to have a hard time. Canceled. Yeah. That's yeah. what the kids are saying now. Yeah, canceled. <laughs> yeah. The kids. Um, and then we may have a little bit of extra time just to kind of shoot the shit, but. I also thought it would be fun uh, to start ending the episodes by asking guests a random question. Um, and this one happened to be perfectly in the theme of uh, tomorrow being Thanksgiving. So I'll ask you, uh, for what in your life do you feel most grateful? Oh, man. Hmm. Most of my life, I, I think that I am very grateful that I grew up in a very loving and a very kind and very supportive household. Uh, I've never oh. not felt supported by my family at all. I've never felt like my family's ever been disappointed in me. And that's been invaluable in taking risks and doing stuff uh, comedically. Um, and it's also made me a more forgiving person. Uh, and so I guess I'm thankful for having grace and forgiveness for other people. and. I'm also very thankful that in my life, there's been a lot of people that have had grace and forgiveness for me. And I think that that's the only way we can like continue to move forward as a society is realize that like, hey, if somebody does something really messed up and wrong and it was a mistake or an accident and they're trying and they change, it's probably best to like let them change and not hold them accountable forever. Uh, so that's kind of the thing I'm most thankful for. And I think that purely comes from my family and growing up in the background that I grew up in. I was very, I was very blessed and very lucky. And I know that, yeah. so. That's so sweet. That's, we can't make fun of that. Yeah. <laughs> try. God damn it. <laughs> I didn't try, think I you were gonna answer that by person. Yeah, all right, Tom, what do you yeah. think before? Tom's like, dick. <laughs> yeah, oh my God, how did you know I was gonna say that? It's Dicksgiving, dude. Yeah, Dicksgiving. Thanksgiving. Or Dick's taking, depending. Ooh, thanks, Dicking. Stuffing. Um, <laughs> Yeah stuff, yeah, stuff in turkey uh, time. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't want my I parents don't... so proud. Yeah, get, get no, stuff with they're your not host. Watching this. <laughs> oh my god. No. Uh, 
that's funny. I got like, I got that question by like picking it randomly from like this, I guess psychologist or like behavioral therapist or something had like developed a list of questions that are supposed to like super connect people. And it's like, there's Ooh. only 36 total. Um, but that was a good one. That's a good question time. though. Yeah. But I think questions like that are hard to make. Like you can make them funny, but when I can get a question like that, I'm just like, don't be a dick, just answer it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't be an asshole. This person's trying to run a podcast. Don't be a piece of shit. <laughs> don't, totally. make their, don't make their job harder <laughs> than it already is. Yeah, no, I think I I mean I randomize it when I like ask people, but the person who designed it was like this is like i guess they had like measured the questions and like where they rated on like some sort of predetermined wow. intimacy scale so it's supposed Ooh. to get like progressively more intense what's the most intimate so hopefully question? people oh let me bring it up if it's, yeah. Um, yeah what's the most intimate one <laughs> um the most intimate one is gotta connect to my wi-fi um yeah, is this is this the like <laughs> The list of questions that's supposed to force someone to fall in love with you. That was there's a there's a list of questions. There was some experiment that scientists were that doing. Yeah. What? It that's is that one. <laughs> that's so funny. My okay. My secret goal of this podcast is actually just to get another husband, <laughs> get my friends to fall in love with me, <laughs> um, just make more friends. Um. So the last one's actually. Sorry, I'm not enough for you, Tom. Yeah. Ooh, I'm a quantity over quality kind of person. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm also introverted, so I don't want to have to put effort into it. Well, that's fair. So, yeah. That's yeah. fair. Um, this is a very non-threatening way to meet people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what better way uh, to non-threateningly meet people than virtually? But um, so the last question is like not really a question, but you're supposed to share a personal problem and ask your partner's advice on how he or she might handle it. Well, and then that's... ask your partner to reflect back to you how you seem to be feeling about the problem you've chosen. That's very intimate. That's yeah. like, that's it's a also big... a two-parters, which is yeah, kind of cheating. That's, That's like a job interview question. Yeah, where do you see yourself in five years? What problems <laughs> do you feel like you're? <laughs> yeah, say say a coworker is causing problems. What actions do you take to address it? Blah, blah, blah. We are. Oh my god, I also feel like my brain is still like a little bit of that mentality since I just like kind of got out of the whole job interview process. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, you're, you're officially, yeah, you're officially a librarian, right? That's the technical term, or what is it? I think Tom's technically a, a sexy librarian. Yes, yeah, se sexy. You're That's a lusty librarian. <laughs> we call it adult services. Yeah. You gotta um, get glasses and take them off and like shake your hair. Yeah. Like, yeah. Get glasses just to take them off. Yeah, it's a library. Yeah, I'll lend you mine. Yeah, so it's just a, just a library of erotic literature. That's all he has <laughs> the entire, oh <laughs> the entire it's, library. It's been so weird being, you know, in a county now that's like the services feel so limited to what a normal library is supposed to where, be where are you now are you in virginia are you in maryland like where are you i'm in maryland well i still okay. live in virginia though but okay. are um, you still in arlington that area i i am in alexandria i okay. used to work for arlington though okay <sighs> i'm gonna miss those people so but, what yeah, does so... your library not have like what well is... it's just like it's just so 
no books. <laughs> Out have, of them. All yeah. of them are contaminated. Yeah, no. we just um, have covers. <laughs> are you sure you don't want to just wait three days? No, burn them. All the yeah. books. Um, and that's the clip they're going to use in my indictment. Um, but no, um, it's just like, I just, I'm comparing it to how I normally see the library. And like, I guess contrary to popular belief, as somebody who works at, libraries uh i see them as very active places i see them as like community centers and i think part of that is also because i have worked in a lot of counties that are very like population dense okay um, so a lot of the even like during the daytime retirees uh patrons experiencing homelessness uh the families like young families yeah. who are like taking their kids to story time like there's always something happening in the library and right now on our appointment system it is like yeah we're currently permitting one appointment four days a week it's like wow. monday through thursday and there's only 10 people allotted and when everybody comes in we have to take them through like a whole spiel about their that masks sucks. and social distancing i mean it's not fun but it's just like, I don't know. I got like weirdly emotional when I was like helping finally finding a book wow. on a shelf for somebody. It was just like, yeah, I just I, love helping people. I didn't realize how. I, I've never spent a ton of time in library. So like, <laughs> like the most time I've spent is like when I first got out of college, I went to a local library because I, I moved back home to my mom's and she didn't have internet and I would just go there to use internet and write all day. So like, that's what I would do. I would drive 25 minutes and just sit in the library for hours and doing that. But it's a really small library. Like the only thing that they had was books and the internet. Like that, that was it. But then like when I started teaching in Richmond and we would take our kids to the library, there's like, some of these libraries have everything. Like it's insane. Like there was like one that like had, like if you were for, like, like had a library card or whatever for that county, you could like use, they have podcast equipment which was like so fascinating to me. Yeah. Like they had a room to do podcasts in. Like they obviously had the DVD, like DVDs and stuff too, but like there's all these community engagement things that I wasn't aware libraries were doing because of my super small, tiny one that was the only one like I had any experience with. So I thought that that was fascinating that it's like, oh, it's so high tech now. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, it's kind yeah. of like they've like morphed into, I mean, cause with the, like the falling of print media, like I feel like a lot of libraries have kind of, tried to repurpose themselves to yeah. survive i mean i know like here in baltimore uh i worked for a nonprofit that funded libraries in the schools because a lot of kids that are food insecure go to the schools during the summertime for food yeah. so they go for like breakfast and lunch so they also turn the library into a resource for the kids with like tablets and they made sure everyone had That's air awesome. conditioning and like there were computers for the parents so the parents could go online if they needed to and it was like it, they really harnessed the change from print media and turned it into a community resource which was That's really pretty cool. That's cool. yeah. yeah. and, and that's like that's part of it too is that like the library's like mission and like a very broad stroke is like to adapt to the community's needs so i actually worked at a library that had like a sound booth with like all the like fancy equipment and stuff and actually a big thing during the pandemic that i've seen a couple different counties do is uh the having mobile hotspots available for checkout and like yeah Chromebooks that's really cool stuff um so that people awesome. can still get to the library's electronic resources even though they don't have 
those resources at home necessarily. But it, yeah, I, awesome. I weirdly have like mostly experience in maker spaces uh, because I guess of where I've happened to land jobs. And that's like awesome, things that I didn't know where you would find anywhere. Like I didn't know what a 3D printer was before I encountered one at a library. And it was that's crazy. Weird. They had that in lots of like little plastic giraffes with it. So. <laughs> So I know we only have a few minutes left. So I want to ask this question because I was interested. Um, I'm straight. That's <laughs> <laughs> usually what the question is. Oh, okay. Well, cool, I guess. Not a <laughs> um, but so uh, have, I know you're talking, you're joking a lot about death and about like things that are kind of taboo. Have you ever had like negative feedback from yeah. someone? absolutely really <laughs> especially when i'm working jokes out and the negative feedback is more like just people saying like i don't think that topic's funny mm. and it's not people being mean about it just people literally being like i don't see the humor in this situation but they're not mad at me i'm, I'm luckily like i'm at a point now where like when i write a joke if someone is offended or upset by it 99 times out of 100 it's because they don't understand it like okay. it's so like I'm at a point now where it's like just the way that I construct them and like I run them by people that I respect that are parts of those communities. Like I have some jokes um, about gay people, about trans people, about people of different religions. And I always make sure like, hey, this is the point that I'm trying to convey. Is that point coming across or is it seem like it's coming from like a hateful place? Because that's never like the plan. It's just like I want to, you know, talk about this stuff that's like actually funny but in a respectful way and, and death is no different. There's definitely been people that, it's usually people that have just had someone pass away. So they might just be so overcome with emotion that the, neg the negative feedback is them being like, I thought it was really funny, but I had to leave because you were also making me cry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. Yeah, so yeah. usually like the way that I would do those sets is like when I was working those jokes out is I would save it for the very end of my set if I was doing like a longer set and I would be like, hey, remember how much fun we had for the first 45 minutes? Are you guys cool if I work out this new material about my dad passing away? And they would say yes. And even if they didn't enjoy it, because I had given them that preface of like, this is the end of the regular show. Did we have fun? And they make a bunch of noise. And it's like, now I'm going to give you extra stuff and you either like it or you don't. But the positive has far outweighed the negative. Like I've helped more people and more people have laughed about it or, or it's bad than I've had people that are just like, I don't like this or I don't think it's funny. And those people are usually also kind of drunk. So yeah. <laughs> It's interesting because um, I guess it's kind of like, for lack of a better term, like gallows humor. Yeah. Um, so I used to work uh, in a nonprofit legal clinic uh, for women that were trying to get protection from domestic violence. And like some of the jokes that we fucking told were horrible. Like I would, I would come home uh, from work with like a story that I thought was funny and tell it to a friend. My friend would just be horrified the whole time. Yeah. But it's like humor as a coping mechanism is something we should really recognize. Like, yeah. if I was doing an intake with a woman and she was telling me all these horrible things, there'd be an odd detail. And if I'd be off, like off the call and just like, just feeling it, I would just like go into a coworker's office and start telling jokes about the weird detail. Yeah. You know? And it's a very interesting coping mechanism to kind of, in some ways, dull the pain of horror yeah. or grief or all these negative emotions that are going on. 
almost every time I've had someone um, or seen someone, whether they're talking about my jokes or someone else's jokes, have an issue with the topic that's being talked about, it's almost exclusively someone that's not a part of that group or hasn't experienced it before. And uh, it's one of the most, like, because there's something where, like, I taught in a school for autism, and I made a rule that I would talk about my students because I think that they're just, like, typically developing kids. You can talk about anybody. The jokes were never, oh, they have autism. The jokes are, like, these are funny stories that my kids did, but, hey, they're also, like, let's humanize them. They also have autism. And I've had someone come up to me and say something afterwards. Just like, you can't say that. And I'm like, do you work with anyone that has autism? They're like, no. I was like, do you know anyone that has autism? They said, no. And I said, well, I spend 40 hours a week the last four years with these kids. You can go fuck yourself. Like you, you don't do anything for these communities. You don't get to, if I have a coping mechanism to deal with what can be a very difficult situation to deal with, and you're just saying something because you're trying to white knight or virtue signal, but you have no invested interest in those communities, I think you're the worst type of person. And those people I think are incredibly frustrating to have to talk to and deal with because they don't, they don't get it. They just don't understand. And it's, it's very frustrating. But yeah, no, I think, uh, you know, a couple of good points made as far as like, you know, comedy is a coping mechanism, but you also do have to like, keep in mind, like being respectful about it because it's, you may just be doing it for yourself and like, you know, as a coping mechanism, but you know, it's also still just any time it's still a show are put in a situation (laughs) where, well, anytime you're put in a situation where like other people have to listen to you, it's a position of power. So you have to be responsible with that as uh, Spider-Man somewhere said, but that being said, uh, we're pretty much done, but I want to give you the chance, Winston, uh, real quick, if you want to plug any stuff, yeah, I mean, watch my special greeting productively. Follow me at Winston H Comedy on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. I'll probably start posting stuff on that. And if you can't remember all that, literally links to everything is on WinstonHodges.com. So other than that, please check check me out. I got some shows coming up online. They'll be fun. Woo! Yay! All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks Winston. for having me. Yeah, it's a good time. Uh, we'll be doing this again next week on Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. We're going to have a Toronto comedian, Desiree Walsh, who I Ooh. fucking love. Yeah, oh, she's Desiree. great. Yes. I love Desiree. Oh, my God. Um, I mean, Winston's okay, too. but <laughs> I like Desiree, too, so it's okay. <laughs> um, so definitely uh, tune in next time for that. And we got, like, three comments during this awesome. episode. So I'm just going to log off of this. I'm going to be like, oh my God. Like, Enjoy it. Maybe 10 people viewed it this time. Okay. Yeah, we'll That's a Hodges down. bump right there. It is. That is the Hodges bump. That's the classic Hodges draw. Oh, <laughs> That's, yeah. what you, <laughs> That's what you got. Great people. Well, happy Thanksgiving. Oh yeah, and great. happy Thanksgiving. Have a great oh, yeah. Thanksgiving. <laughs> That's tomorrow. Eat turkeys. Yeah, eat Tur- duckins. All that stuff. All right. Yeah. End of podcast streaming thing. Goodbye. Good night, all three listeners. All three. Do, 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 do. Do, 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 do.